You're listening to audio from NC Worship, the Sunday morning worship gathering of Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. Let me ask you a question as we begin. Have you ever been so excited about something that you could not wait for other people to see it? Have you ever been so excited about something that you could not wait for other people to see it? There are a lot of things that I could use to illustrate this. I I could think uh, Travis is over here, our dear friend who's now living in New York City for a short time working. And uh, when him walking into the room reminded me of the first time I went to New York City and to Times Square. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Times Square. Yeah. Uh, and so the first time I went, I'd heard it was incredible. I heard it was magnificent. I heard it was exciting. And I went and it was that. It was all of that. There were lights and people, a lot of people. There were really interesting people and really scary people. And there were, there were things to purchase and things to look at. It was a wonderful kind of experience. I went to uh, New York City a few times before Jeannie actually got to go. But I remember a trip where she and I went. And I could not wait for her to come and see all that I had seen in Times Square, the center of the earth, right? Some people believe uh, Times Square. Um, But, you know, I've been there a few times now, and when I go to New York City, I don't really care about going to Times Square anymore. I mean, it's not that big of a deal to me. There are some things that when you say, come and see, the newness of it wears off. Well, there's something that happened in the Bible. It's this, and it's a story about a man by the name of Jesus. When people begin to say, come and see, they, they got to see something that the newness of it would not wear off, if they truly saw him for who he is. And so this morning, we're going to get to read this passage of Scripture in John's Gospel, where we get to see the very first people who are invited to come and see who Jesus is. So would you stand to your feet? We're going to read John chapter 1, verses 35 through 54. And so just a few things happening here. I want to uh, read this passage, and I'll pause a couple times along the way just to help you understand it. All right, are you ready? Now, if you're new to our church, one thing we like to do when I'm done reading the passage, we say, may God bless the reading of his word. And it's our way of acknowledging like the Bible is important, God's spoken to us, that kind of thing. So John chapter 1, verse 35 through 54. All right, here we go. The next day again, John, now this is John the Baptist. We talked about him last week in the previous passage. He was the one sent by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. So the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold. Everybody say, Behold. Behold. You know, this is a cool word. We don't ever use it anymore, but I'm going to try to bring it back somehow. Behold. I wouldn't be the one to bring something cool back. Giovanni, from now on, start using the word behold, all right? People will do it because you're cool. All right, all right. All right, so behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard John the Baptist say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for that day for it was about the 10th hour, which is 4 p.m. in our time. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now, just to remind you, we know from the beginning of the series that John said the purpose of his gospel is to show you and me and the readers that Jesus is the Christ. And so he makes a big deal about each 
time that somebody identifies Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. So we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which actually means rock. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? But Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now just pause there. A fig tree is sometimes a symbol for a home, but it can occasionally be a location where someone goes to pray and to meditate. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This is a really fun passage, and there's a few things happening here that begin to introduce us to themes that we'll see throughout John's gospel. If this is your first time here, uh, in 2014, I'm going to be teaching through John's gospel, and, uh, and it's going to be a wonderful journey. But the first thing that we see is that things are moving forward. Last week, we saw that someone came, the religious people came to John the Baptist and said, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not the Messiah, but there is one who is coming who is the Messiah. And then John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, behold, the Messiah, the one I told you is coming after me. His sandals, I'm not even unworthy, I'm not even worthy to untie. There's a forward leaning here in verse 36 because John the Baptist sees Jesus again and he says, behold the lamb. But now there's this movement towards inviting other people to see Jesus as the Christ. Verse 39, we see another kind of forward-leaning phrase whenever Jesus says to these two disciples of John the Baptist, come and see. Come, come, come and look and see what I'm about. And then in verse 50 of that passage, we, we see that Jesus tells Nathaniel, you're going to see greater than this. I love this in John's gospel because from the beginning, we see that there's this forward leaning, this, this, this movement that moves, uh, moves us in the narrative of what God's doing in the world. Like that's what we're a part of. We're a part of this thing that's been moving forward towards a point since the beginning. We're invited into this through Jesus Christ. It's a forward leaning movement of God. Um, as I mentioned, today is the Houston Marathon, and uh, Sarah, who normally does our welcome, uh, was doing the Houston Half Marathon this morning. And then another um, person in our church, um, Marisol Gomez, is doing the Houston Marathon. I actually went down to see, to see if I could see them, and I went to West Gray at Montrose, and I waited for quite a while, 
And, uh, and wouldn't, you, wouldn't you know it, um, I missed her. None of those people are Marisol or Sarah. So I was just the creepy guy that took a picture and walked off. So um, on another note, Christie's Donuts right there, phenomenal. Amen. Okay. Um, but but the, thing, the thing, what I've learned about, uh, about running or about cycling or, and even some ways about swimming uh, is that, that you just, a lot of it is leaning forward. It really is. When you run, uh, the best running technique requires you not to stand up straight and back, but for you to kind of lean forward so your, your body moves you. Well, this is the, 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 the thing that we see in the movement of God in the world. There's this forward leaning uh, where God is doing something and bringing something to pass towards a point, towards a finish line. So things are moving forward. I want you to see that. We'll see that throughout John's gospel. He's not just writing to be writing. We're not just talking about Jesus to be talking about Jesus. This is really um, something that is moving toward a point, okay? Uh, Second thing that we see is that the word uh, about Jesus is spreading through people. This is really significant. It's spreading through people using their words, which is the primary way of communicating. We know that John the Baptist tells Andrew he's identified, and we think that the other disciple is the actual writer, gospel writer John, which is how he knows that uh, they were with him since 4 p.m. So John the Baptist tells Andrew and John, and then what does Andrew do? He goes and tells Peter. And then Philip hears, because he's from the same city that Andrew and Peter are from, and then what does Philip do? He goes and tells Nathaniel. So the word is spreading that something good is happening. Isn't that fun to be a part of? It's fun to know something good and begin to spread that word to other people. Um, I have to ask for your forgiveness before I use this next illustration. Last week, I made an illustration that John the Baptist was like the appetizer before the main course, and I referenced papacitos. And um, how many of you have struggled this week to not eat fajitas? Uh, I've had several, yes, I've had several. Yeah, confess it, brother. Um, I had several people come up to me like, thanks a lot. I've eaten fajitas three times this week, you know? So I told that story about fajitas. But I want to tell you another word about food. Um, it, it, have you been to Torchy's Tacos? Anybody been to Torchy's Tacos? Yeah, you're not from around here, not from, I don't know, there are other places, but no, no other place really matters to me other than Houston. All right, so Torchy's Tacos. You know, Torchy's Tacos, I've never received a mailer about Torchy's Tacos. I've never seen a commercial about Torchy's Tacos. You know how I heard about Torchy's Tacos? John Kreitz. John Kreitz told me, he said, I've got some good news for you, Russell. And I said, well, what is it, brother? What is your good news? And he said, there is this taco place that just went in on Shepherd, right in the near town area that you've got to check out. And I said, well, let's go. So the first time we went, I don't know if you remember me, you and Andrew went, I went in. It was one of those places, frankly, don't look at the floor because it's a little dirty, um, which means you don't either, you don't want to go back where it's so good that it, you, you'll overlook it. Well, sure enough, I get the pink lady and I get the trailer trash tacos and I sit down and I begin to consume those and John Christ, I trust him. He would not leave me astray. That was good news. Torchy's Tacos was good news to me. And so you know what I did? I went and told somebody else. I spread the word. Listen, there's this place over on Shepherd, and the word has gotten out. You can't hardly get in over there now. And they put another one in Rice Village. So there was good news about a good place to eat. So the word was spread. I mean, the word here about Jesus, which matters for something far greater and far more important than just food for your belly, 
It's about the one who had come to save and to, be a, to be, provide salvation, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. This word is spreading through people. This is one of John's um, major themes, that, that people who hear the word about Jesus as Savior will bear witness to other people. It's how Christianity has expanded from that little fledgling church 2,000 years ago, that little fledgling movement 2,000 years ago, to, to now be throughout the world and throughout people's lives. People tell people. So we see that things are moving forward, and we also see that the word is spreading through people. But I love this other point. We, we observe that questions are required. In fact, they're welcomed and encouraged. Now, I have had some church experience in my own life where if you begin to ask questions about what's written in the Bible or about what's going through your mind related to God and man, people would look at you and just immediately shut you down. I want you to know that this church is a place where you can ask your questions. We welcome questions about who God is and who we are and who Jesus is and why it matters. In the passage, we see that there are several questions. In verse 38, in fact, the very first words of Jesus in John's gospel make up a question. He says in verse 38, what are you seeking? This is a question for our day, right? Just to ask people, what are you seeking? Well, uh, we see another question in Andrew and John, the gospel writer, ask Jesus a question back. They say, well, where are you staying? They do have some questions. When they asked Jesus, where are you staying, it meant more than, hey, I want to check out your crib. (laughs) It it meant something along the lines of, like, we want to get to know you. It's most likely that the reason that these very first disciples of John the Baptist began to follow Jesus isn't because they were persuaded of who Jesus was. It was because John the Baptist, someone that they trusted, said, you got to check out Jesus. So here they are with John the Baptist. They see John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and he says, listen, the person who's greater than me has come, and there he is. Go and follow him. Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they say, where are you staying? We want to get to know you. We want to find out who you are. And then a little later in the passage, we see this question that when I first read it, I was like, ooh. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, Nathaniel has heard about Jesus, heard that he's from Nazareth. And Nazareth was like in an area not known for its greatness was the area thought to be um, kind of gross and unimportant, this little place, this little city or little town called Nazareth. So Nathaniel's asking a very good question. Maybe some of you have questions like this. Is it even possible that Jesus could be the son of God and that he could have come out of this place called Nazareth? It was a blunt criticism by Nathaniel in the form of a question of what he had heard about who was the Christ. But it's interesting later because Jesus 
uh, is not intimidated by Nathaniel's questions. We should know that Jesus is not intimidated by people's questions, by your questions. He's not intimidated by my questions. Jesus doesn't get offended. He doesn't, he doesn't get insecure when you begin to say, who are you? I don't believe who you are. I need to know more about who you are before I believe who you are. Um, Jesus is not intimidated. In fact, Jesus readily, readily acknowledges that Nathaniel is an Israelite that is esteemed and worthy of honor. He has pure motives. Jesus welcomes the questions. It's okay. Nathaniel asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he begins to go and find out for himself. And Jesus sees him coming. And Jesus says, I know who you are. And Nathaniel says in verse 48, how do you know me? Here's the thing about when we begin to ask honest questions of God, we have courage and humility to do it. I really believe that God begins to give us answers. He begins to give us answers in the right time. Gives us the knowledge that we need at just the right time and just the right amount so that we can begin understanding what it means that Jesus is the Savior. See, Jesus did a miracle. He said, how do you, he told Nathaniel who he was and that he'd seen him. How do you know me? He says in verse 48, Nathaniel does. And then in verse 50, Jesus asks, do you believe? Questions are good. Questions in the Christian faith are so good and they're a part of a part of it. Now, here are a couple of things I just want to kind of take a tangent just for a moment and offer to you that there are some requirements for good questions either for you, maybe that you have, and I'll continue to keep asking questions and getting answers and all that, but, but even for those that you're sharing the good news with. Um, two requirements, courage and humility. It takes a lot of courage to, to, to lean forward and to say, you know what, I, I don't believe this, or I want to know more about this. It takes a lot of humility, too, to listen to the answer. Sometimes people ask questions, and what they're really doing is, is they're not open to conversation. They're, they're, they're hateful, or they're... Um, they're, they're venomous in their question asking. Well, it requires courage and humility for the, both the asker and the listener. Uh, there are some common questions maybe that, that you have or that you know people have. Just a few here I would offer to you and to help us think in the way that maybe John the Baptist wants us to, to value the question and question answering process. Uh, a question today is, did Jesus even really exist? I mean, this is a huge question. Did Jesus really exist? We know that the Bible says he existed. We know that the, the evidence for the authenticity of the words that we have translated in English that make up the Bible can be trusted. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's illogical to think that we can't trust these words. But some people choose, and even though that that's the case, to not to. Not to. But you would, might be interested to know that uh, there was a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, not a Christian, not somebody that followed the way of Christ. In the year 93, he wrote a a history of the Jews, and and he wrote this part in one of his historical accounts. Listen, we're asking the question, did Jesus really exist? Here's what he wrote. He wrote these words. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe it was a different Jesus. Well, just keep listening to what Josephus wrote. 
For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the, the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, in other words, other religious leaders, Pilate had to condemn him to a cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to cease to love him. He appeared to them spending a 30-day restored to life, 30-day period restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. This is from Josephus about this man by the name of Jesus. Josephus was not a Bible-believing in the way that we think about it kind of a person. Did Jesus exist? Yes. That's a question of the day. Another question that's common today, very common, is why do bad things happen? If God is so good and God is so loving, why do bad things happen? Have you ever heard that question? Well, uh, you ought to know from the Bible one reason or the reason that bad things happen is because sin has disrupted the peace that God intended. So what God is doing through Jesus is restoring things to shalom, to peace. This one reason we talk about our mission in this way. We're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. You say, well, there are bad things in our world. Why doesn't God do something about it? He is. He is. It's through Jesus and the heralding, the proclaiming, the declaration of the message that in Christ, God is restoring all things to himself. Another common question, and then I'll move from this. Uh, People ask me fairly often, looking for some way to discredit me, they ask me, what do you believe about X? Fill in the blank. What do you believe about homosexuality? What do you believe about Republicans? What do you believe about the president? What do you believe about this, uh, you know, the, the borders? You know, what do you believe about this and that? And, um, and, uh, and so there are questions like that that are really worthwhile and a good conversation. And more often than not, what I do is say, you know, we might not agree on some of these issues that are important, but let me tell you what is the most important thing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever does not believe in him will perish. But through Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life. Questions are good. Questions are welcome. So whenever you are yourself working out your salvation, working out your faith, ask questions. It's good. Good. It's one value of being in community is you can ask people questions. If you're seeking answers isolated from the Christian community, uh, you will have a hard time sorting through uh, the conversation. But questions are good, and I think they're really, it's really healthy to ask them within a Christian community, and so you can begin dialoguing, have good conversation, go to God's Word, and ask the Spirit of God to reveal the answers to you. Uh, questions are good, they're welcome. Or as you're ministering to people and you're sharing the good news with people, if they have questions, don't be intimidated by it. I mean, I'm like paid to be a Christian and sometimes people ask me questions and, uh, and I'll just tell them straight up, like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the finer points of what every world religion believes. And it's okay. I mean, I can go try to find out, but I mean, I'm not God himself, omniscient, all-knowing. I mean, so questions that are good, and I welcome them as I'm sharing my faith with other people. Okay, so, so questions are good. Um, and, and we also see here, and I want you to catch this, that, that doubt oftentimes comes before faith. And sometimes in the midst of it, 
John the Baptist tells Andrew and John, go follow Jesus. And Jesus says, what are you seeking? And their question of him, where do you live? It it gives us the sense that they may be unsure about whether or not Jesus is the Christ. They're going to check out for themselves. Doubt comes before faith. They want to get closer to him. They've doubted him. But something has happened from 4 o'clock p.m. to to, to the next morning where they go from calling him rabbi to calling him Christ. So in that very short period of time, their doubt and their questions, some of them are answered, and their doubt moves into a place of them having faith. Pretty awesome. Nathaniel doubted. I already mentioned this. He doubted that anything could come good could come out of Nazareth, a small, insignificant town. But he accepted the invitation to come and see. He accepted the invitation to see Jesus, to meet him. And then, of course, Jesus did that where he, he told Nathaniel that he had seen him under a fig tree, and then uh, it, it moved Nathaniel to believe. Here's the thing about doubt. Doubt is analogous to, it's a good analogy. Um, a good analogy of doubt and its value is pain. Um, just, just raise your hand. Have you ever, has anybody here ever felt, or recently felt physical pain? Just, just slip, slip your hand up. Yeah. All the guys over here, skateboarders, are like, yeah, this morning when I tried to do that wonky wonk, or I don't know what the name of the trick is, but um, pain tells us that there's a larger issue, right? Pain says something's going on, something's not working quite right. Pain is important for us to figure out how to get healthy. Well, doubt is in the same way good for us. Doubt, I really do believe, as long as it's with questions, with the kind of questions that are with courage and humility, doubt is good, and it, it lets us know that something's not quite right. Doubt, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. Write that down, quote me on that. Doubts are ants in the pants of faith. They, they keep it awake and keep it moving. Doubt is welcome, and doubt comes before faith. Okay, just one more thing here. Um, And I want you to see this, because this is really, I think, what John's doing in this passage, is he wants us to see that change happens when people come and see. When you are humble and courageous with your questions, when you are okay with your own doubts, when you understand that things are moving forward, change begins to happen when people come and see Jesus. Andrew and John went from calling him rabbi to heralding him as the Christ. Peter, um, here's the change that happened with him. He went from being his identity being rooted in who he was in his earthly father to who he was, who he was as it relates to what God is doing in the world. He says, you are Simon, son of John, but I'm going to call you Cephas, which, which means the rock. We know later that the rock, this rock is the person that God's going to build his church on. When people come to see Jesus, when we really truly begin to see Jesus for who he is, something changes. We cannot stay the same. So if you have not changed, then you might ask yourself the question, have I really seen Jesus for who he is? Do I see him as something more than a moral teacher or a religious leader or just a real good guy? Do I see him as the savior, the one 
who I can behold as the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. Nathaniel asked his question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was answered him and with this, this clear evidence that this man, Jesus, was more than a man. And so Nathaniel confesses, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Change happens when we come and see Jesus. It's awesome. Real change happens by God's power through Jesus. And I'm not talking about like the peripheral, just the peripheral kind of moral change, like you begin to behave differently. I'm talking about the kind of change that is, that is a fruit of uh, the, the outside. And what happens is because of something is happening inside and it's bearing fruit in you. That's the kind of change I'm talking about. That's the kind of change where God shows up in your heart and begins to make things look more attractive to you than pornography or makes things look more appealing to you than, than just financial prosperity. That's the kind of change that has to be from like the soul, the place that Paul calls in one of his letters, your inner man or inner woman, the deepest part of you. This is the kind of place that God begins to change when you come and see Jesus for who he is. Do you get that? Hello. Come and see. This is the good news of the gospel. And we're entering into this book, not just as as students of like, well, let's see what it says and let's, let's, let's learn about what it says. No, what we're saying is I want to get the truth about who Jesus is. And I want, an Old Testament prophet said, I want to eat this book. I want this thing, the truths of this book to become so much a part of me that what comes out of me is a change. A person that gets caught up in what God is doing in the world. People, you may not be the rock, the person God's going to build his church on, but you know what? You are a rock in Christ that God wants to to move this thing forward through in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family. This is you in Christ. Jesus can change hearts. He will change our hearts, and he is changing our hearts. So, just one quick concluding idea. Two, two things here as a part of the concluding idea. First of all, to the doubter, to the question asker, to the unsure person, I would say to you, come and see Jesus. Bring your questions, bring your doubt, bring your brokenness because we're all broken, we're all doubters, we're all questioners. And there's only some of us that are willing to ask the questions, to admit doubt and to, to let people in on our brokenness. Bring it. This is the kind of movement we see. God is, has entered history into all of that, all your questions, all your doubt, all your brokenness. That's what God has done. Bring it. Jesus will meet you on the road and he'll begin to show you things that you never imagined you'd see. You know, before I planted this church, I... Um, I had this vision um, of being a part of something in the middle of this great city where we simply invited people to come and see Jesus for who he is. And so my wife and I, before we'd said to anybody, we're planting this church. We actually moved in the city. I couldn't afford to live in the city on the salary I was taking, so we started a business. And I made like 
thousand, fifteen hundred bucks bucks a month doing this this business in my free time, just to be able to afford to live in the city. And, and what we said was we wanted to we want to we want to be in a part of the city that we think um, there's a deficit in. And there's lots of churches, but it seems that there's a deficit in like like gospel proclaiming, Christ exalting, uh, understandable churches. And so we would just want to go in and be Christians living the Christian faith. And so we did. And then we, we began to gather a few people at our home. And then that group began to grow a little bit more. And then the word got out to a few others that we knew that lived around here. And then that group got a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden we said, hey, somebody's got to pastor these people. And, uh, I'll, and I'll do it. And I, I really think in some ways what God was saying to me was, Russell, come and see what I'm going to do in the city. And so we have been a part of this for several years now and seen God do incredible things. I promise you, I mean, it has been, I mean, just in a lot of ways, very difficult and I've been exposed to all my weaknesses. And so if you know them, then just keep them to yourself. Um, but, but, but in some ways, I have, we have seen things, um, we've seen God do things that I never imagined. We have seen God provide financially for this church in three years, $1.3 million dollars. We have seen God provide leaders in this church. You know, nearly every person that's a mission partner in our church leans in and leads something as a part of this church. We have seen our church uh, warm and welcoming to all different people. There are people in here that are millionaires. There are people in here that need 50 bucks for groceries today. There, we, have, we have seen God do something really significant. And what it was simply for us was our saying to God, yes, we will come and see. What I'm saying to you, if you're a doubter, come and see who Jesus is. How do you do that? Well, you need to be here regularly because we're talking about who Jesus is. You ought to get plugged into a home group because that's where a lot of discussion happens about who Jesus is. And you get to ask your questions there. You need to... Be courageous and humble in your question asking, but ask them and, and, and take the initiative on that. Come and see. And what I believe that you'll see is that Jesus will do things that will surprise you. Things may not work out exactly like you thought they will, but Jesus will surprise you. For those of you in here that you would not categorize yourself as the doubter, the question asker, the unsure person, although we're all that sometimes. I mean, even John the Baptist, you know, later in the Gospels, we see John the Baptist, he sent some messengers to Jesus and said, are you the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It's like, wait a minute, you're the one that told everybody he was the Messiah. So all of us have questions all along the way. This is a part of working at our faith. But for those of you that are in here that are the changed ones, the people that you say, you know what, I'm, I'm leaning towards like, yes, this is it. I'm giving my life to this. What um, I'm saying, want to say to you is you need to just, just to stick with Jesus, bear witness to others. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're, you're asking people, what are you seeking? And then they begin to answer your question. You say, you know what, I know I have one that can fulfill all those needs. His name is Jesus. You get to bear witness about who Jesus is, that he is the Savior. We will not be saved by government, by our political systems. It's important that those are good. It's important that we understand them, but we will not be saved by those. We will not be saved by our own ingenuity, our own intellect. This is the God of this area is 
intellectual ascent. It's very humanistic. I can come up with a system that works for me, and I can. You will not be saved by that. It will come crushing uh, down on you or on them, whoever that might be. Jesus is the one we bear witness about. Jesus is the one who we, like John the Baptist, like um, Nathaniel and like Peter, like Andrew, like John, we get to say, come and see. He's the one who changes lives. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Neartown Church. If you want to talk to someone about what you've heard today, please visit neartownchurch.org and click the contact button.